0: All right, we are here tonight on Left of the Projector. I'm your host, Evan, and I'm joined by Mike, who is from the uh, Turn Leftist podcast, and Brandon from Ca- Cars and Comrades. Thank you both for joining.
1: How Oh, yeah. Happy to be here.
0: Yes, yes. Um, I th- did. I think I forgot to say what movie we're doing, which is The Thing it would be helpful to people who are listening. I guess you can see the Spotify or whatever title will tell you but this is a you know classic 1982 horror thriller whatever you want to call it John Carpenter and it's always been one of my favorite movies although I got into uh, an engagement or a conversation with someone who told me that it was like a boring dude bro snooze fest and I'm like it's a lot of dudes and it's a lot of you know slow moving psychological paranoia
2: yeah I mean uh, dude, bro, sure. Snoozefests. I don't know. like do they just not like suspense movies? Like
0: they're I like ca- horror fans. They're like, they're like their favorite movie is Scream.
2: Then no, that's both. Bull- that, that's stupid. Scream sucks. Yeah, this person just has bad opinions. I think it's fine. You're allowed to. I mean, like I'm 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 realizing that I'm like getting to that age as, as like I'm turning forty later this year. So like I'm basically that old guy who's just likes the stuff that from when I was young, and and that's that's fine. Like I, I let people like what they like, but. If your favorite movie is Scream, then I don't respect your opinion. I mean, speaking of like turning 40, uh, I also saw this movie when I was very young.
1: And so there are like two ways that I saw this movie when I was a really little kid and saw it in snippets because it was like way beyond my years for what I should have been seeing at that time. Because this is like a fucking terrifying movie for a little kid. Like the graphics and I mean, like the special effects and everything in the monster and the way it just like subsumes all these other creatures is like really top notch, I think, for like the quality of the horror, I guess. But um, then I would see it more recently as an adult, but then I think I always had like a smartphone at the time. So I'm always like looking at it. And then like to this person's credit, at least like I will bolster their point at, like saying that it may be a snooze fest, at least in some aspects is that there are a lot of characters. Like there are a lot of these dudes and I don't know all their names, even after having seen this movie, like a dozen times at this point. And I was watching it again today and noticing that like, I don't know the order of the characters and like which they die even after watching it again today I still don't like it's kind of just like um a mishmash of like who gets it when and yeah none of them are particularly important except for of course of course Kurt Russell and some of the other main characters but yeah I mean so they have something to their credit in that and then there were even still plot points like things that happened in the movie today that I noticed and like kind of forgot I was like oh yeah I forgot that like that happened at all um so, yeah, I mean, not that it's a boring movie. It's just like it is a decent horror movie. I guess I'm just more surprised that anybody took the time to hate it because at worst, I always thought of it as just like kind of a middling movie. You yeah. know, it's, it's fine. Like, I,
2: I, I don't know if this is top five favorites or top three. I know it's not my number oh. one, but like this is one of my favorite movies of all times. Really? And like I go, oh, yeah. I get that it's like sparse on plot, but like, yeah, if you can't remember like order that characters die, that's reasonable because there are characters whom you don't know when they die. Like, that's, that's a big part true. of it. Like, um, yeah, okay, you know, fair enough. I don't remember anyone in the characters' names except McCready. Um, <clears throat> but like, yeah, I, I like, tr- I tried to rewatch this last night and it just did not pan out. So, like, everything's not super fresh for me, but. Yeah, like the whole point of the movie is that like most of the time you really don't know which one of the characters are actually still alive and which aren't.
0: Yeah,
2: even with intentional Mr. X, like when I can't remember who it was, but somebody finds McCready's coveralls that were intentionally placed to be like a red herring. And so then they're all obviously really suspicious of him when he is the last one standing like at the end one of the only like definitely humans in the movie. So um, yeah, it's, it's intentionally confusing as to when people died.
0: It's funny you say that Brennan, because I was reading something that John Carpenter says where apparently he tried to make it seem a little ambiguous at the end, whether or not McCready was or wasn't, you know, an alien at that point. And he's like, he's like, when they asked him, like, who is it? He's like, I will never tell.
2: <clears throat> no, I thought it, I thought it was the other guy. That I always, I can, I, for it's the and Childs are the only two left uh, standing. Yeah, Childs, the, the guy yeah. played yeah. by
0: Keith David.
2: Yeah, I was, I was always under the impression that everybody thought that uh, he was like potentially the monster. I did too. What's funny is that they share
1: a drink at the end, so it doesn't really matter. They both are. True. It's the it's the very last thing they do. They both share that uh, drink off the JB bottle and they laugh about it. It's like, okay, I guess you guys are both just given up. But they also are literally talking about how, even if they are both human, they're not getting the fuck out of there anyway. And they're like, well, maybe we shouldn't like, they both are just kind of giving up and kind of resigning themselves to it. So it almost doesn't matter who is or isn't like.
0: To the, to the point of like it being like a boring movie, I would say absolutely not. Is it like a slightly slow build? Absolutely. But I think that's what makes it so good too. Uh,
2: again, that's the way writing, editing and everything was in that era though. Like yeah. Anyone who said that that movie is boring, God help them if they watch anything from the sixties or seventies. Yeah. Yeah. This came out in 82.
0: Yeah, it's funny. It's so funny before
1: Red Dawn, two years before Red Dawn. To be fair,
0: yeah. So that that's the one thing that I that I was thinking of, kind of in the you know the plot of this movie. Again, pretty straightforward. The the opening shot I think is always pretty cool with the the dog running, the Norwegian helicopter trying to catch it, which we of course realize is you know the thing, and it can morph into different different people, and like you're following it, kind of the trajectory of it being a dog to another dog, and it spreads itself throughout. And so I'm thinking to myself, Cold War era, obviously, unintentionally or not, this movie has that sense of Cold War era, you know, Soviet versus the US. This is an American military, I guess it's not military, research base, you know, in Antarctica, is the thing, like the threat of communism, which is sort of, obviously, this is me putting this meaning into it. You know, I'm sure John Carpenter had zero to probably 0% chance of actually uh, politicizing this movie in any way. I think you were saying that before, Brendan. So do you think that makes sense?
2: Yeah. John Carpenter is so funny. Like he, he he was largely apolitical. Like we, we discussed before. I like watched a few interviews with him to try and like suss out any sort of things that he might've like intended, like anything political. And I couldn't find anything, but just watching no. three, three or four interviews with John Carpenter, it's really funny. Cause Seems a lot more like he should be fixing my car than directing a movie. <laughs> like not even just his appearance, like his whole vibe, like just is he's he's got the vibe of like blue collar director, like not that it comes across in any of his movies. A, a funny thing, I think about him, like he, he does seem like he would be probably moderately progressive, but he's definitely like, I don't think really trying to put anything like it, it, short of they live you've already discussed.
0: Yeah. I, I've seen like a few quotes where he got angry that people were using, they live into comparing it to like Trump era, but he didn't actually come out as being specifically like anti-Trump or like pro Hillary or whatever. It was just kind of like, he doesn't, he's clearly holding whatever his beliefs are to himself. Let his movies stand for themselves.
2: Or he's just not someone who has a lot of like political leanings and isn't going to try and get wrapped up in stuff that he's not educated on. Like, I don't love that position, but I like it a lot more than like a liberal who will, you know, like defend Ukraine to the death or something. Like I would rather have a John Carpenter than uh Mark Hamill.
0: <laughs>
2: I mean, John Carpenter could be even
1: like somewhat radical in his beliefs, but like it could even be in like a libertarian way when you look at things like they live or whatever. But um, yeah, I would imagine he's probably just going to uh another Hollywood like liberal left lefty leaning at least, but then probably have some libertarian issues as well, because I mean, there's gotta be some subversive element to his politics for, you know, from the movies he he makes to begin with. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I I think that's, that's probably true. Well, so I think, I think, I think, uh, Oh, what was I saying? Um, But is it, is it going too far? I mean, you know, people at this time, literally saw a communist as like an evil monster that was gonna, you know, their friend could be a communist and, you know, the, the they would <laughs> I don't know. There was like paranoia over communism at the time with all of the Was it
1: infectious, the- you might say?
0: Right. So is like the, more like a fire that like, was spreading. Yeah. Well I I just think about like the paranoia in the movie of everyone has about each other. No one trusts any anyone anymore. Not to say that's the same as people not trusting someone because they might be a communist or whatever. See, I,
2: I like to read that uh, in, in, almost inversely. Instead of thinking like it's these people paranoid that they've been infiltrated by communists, I like to think that it's a bunch of communists worried that they're paranoid they've been infiltrated by the FBI.
0: Well, that
2: for me, the whole movie works as a metaphor of like a leftist group falling apart and eating itself because oh, they wow. can't figure out who the Fed is. <laughs> Damn, oh, that,
0: that, would, that, would, that, that would make you paranoid. That's for sure.
2: Oh, it, it it
0: does. We've we've seen it firsthand. I mean, just how many how many groups have they infiltrated? We don't have time to list them all here.
1: it's for sure. I mean, and again, they look just like you. They could be anyone. It's like
0: it could, it could be your dog. You never know.
2: It could be
0: <laughs> FBI dogs. They got like FBI robot dogs now. So right, or
2: that's why I have cats. You know, they're not going to narc on you.
0: Never. They would never they would never make a robot cat.
1: There's something to be said for the thing breaking down hierarchies because when it gets there, it's very clear that like I think the old guy with the gun, I can't remember his name. But he's the guy old in charge. Right? No, not even him. It's um oh. the guy who like is the only guy wielding the pistol all the time. Oh right. Yeah, the, the doctor.
0: Um find him on the uh, Was it Fuchs? No. I'm, see I've seen this it. movie a dozen times and I, I'm like always terrible at remembering who's who exactly in terms of the characters. Cause I do feel like it's, it's like chaotic quickly. I mean, you have the beginning where everyone's kind of enjoying their liquor and Kurt Russell, McCready is pouring booze on his computer cause it beats him in chess and shit. So everyone is very lonely and very, uh, individual, everyone is a kind of there for themselves, which I think is also what leads to their paranoia of anyone. There's no like real friendship or camaraderie Mm. amongst any of them.
2: You know, and I can't count how many times I have watched this movie and I've never quite put my finger on that, but yeah, that's, that's true. It's, it's a collect, it's a group of individuals, but they're not like working together. Like, you know, like the, the, the thing is basically a collection of cells, but it's, it's working collectively like one community goal. Like, Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, man, that that is a good, like good reading of that, because it's like when you think about communism versus like American capitalism, where it's just hyper individualistic. I love reading like the thing they analyze is like these individual cells that are working like together. And it's it's taking over this this group of people who are all there kind of together by themselves. I love that Reeves.
1: No, that was actually the only thing that I said to Evan before the show was I took away from the message from the, the movie that individualism was the the worst enemy that these guys were up against out in this hellscape, like in addition to being in Antarctica, but that's like the whole thing about it. It's like you're as separated as you can possibly be. And then to compound on that, you may be a group, but you cannot trust anyone. So the only person that you know is not the thing is yourself and everyone's completely alone. And I said, Devin, it's like, if only they'd had some kind of systems of accountability in place for emergencies that don't require a trust that allow everyone to be like held to account very publicly, even if they don't value privacy um, in like an emergency situation, like that could have been implemented. And it's like. And like in parentheses, scary authoritarianism, like whatever would be the most terrifying for these freedom-loving Americans um, at that time. And of course, you can easily relate it to COVID and say like, you know, you can handle it the way that the scary countries did and then not have a lot of deaths, or you can handle it the way that all the free countries did and lose a bunch of people who don't make it. It's like, yeah, if only there were those systems in place and if only you could behave in a decisive way um, and act very, what may seem rashly, but- maybe effectively in that kind of situation. And for that, you kind of need central planning in a way that was not able to happen there. Like it was a complete breakdown of authority. It's like, and in that way, McCready becomes the guy, even though he's just like the fucking pilot, he just was the most capable all the time. So he's like the de facto leader throughout the whole movie for that.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's the, I mean, that ties perfectly into the, them all being kind of, they don't care about the group at all. They're individually, like they're hanging out playing poker. They're friends with each other because they're all there together. But on top of this also is they're also so super secluded. I mean, I can't imagine being in the middle of Antarctica or like some place far off and you're... The only people you see are these like 12 people constantly and you can't really leave very easily. Your mental state would be pretty diminished. So to not have something in place to enable you to... Solve a the only thing that they could agree on was like spraying things down with the either the flamethrower or the uh the the fire the not the fire hydrant the, what the fuck are they called
2: the fire extinguisher fire
0: yeah. extinguisher like that was the only collective little thing they had going
2: the one thing that i've always like okay i'm changing the subject a little bit but this this is a thing that i have been confused about for as long as i've been watching this movie as an adult uh this is a research facility right yep are any of them researchers it's it's like there's the radio guy, uh, there's helicopter pilot, there's doctor, which, you know, you could argue researcher for doctor, but I think he's there as a medical professional. Like, it really seems like maybe 90% support staff and like one or two researchers tops.
0: This is a cook as well. And you have the guy who sort of like is originally the de facto leader, but he doesn't really... Do anything? well I can't think of. Uh,
1: oh, Gary, and it's um, I yes. did find him in the MDb. Uh, something Moffat,
0: yeah, Donald Moffat. Um, but yeah, like he's like the leader, but he's not a researcher. Like, there's Doctor Cooper or Copper Cooper, and then I think there's one other guy who seems to like occasionally have some.
1: Wilford Brimley's character was also, I think, I can't remember his name. Was um, Doctor Blair, yeah, yes. Blair.
0: Right. So there's only two people that are have actual. So really it's two dudes doing some research. What are they researching there? Ice? I mean I know
2: that there's like real research that goes on in Antarctica of I'm and just I don't being a dick. Yeah, but like yeah it does seem like I and I know that's that's probably just padding out the the numbers so that they can have maximum carnage in in the movie. Uh it just If that's the one thing that I can say, like, oh, if I directed this movie and was, you know, a competent director, I would have made it exactly the same, except at least half of the staff would have been actual researchers.
0: It almost makes it if you had more researchers, you'd think in theory it would have been easier for them to kind of figure out something was going on sooner. I don't know, like having no research there. They're like, what the hell do we even do? Like they're not prepared
1: Hell, it would have helped if they had the ability to communicate with the Norwegians at the fucking neighboring base um, so that they could have said in Norwegian, hey, shoot that dog right fucking now and just end this whole thing right now. Like, but, you know, any kind of preparation at all would have been good. But yeah, I mean, I also got the impression, you know, you mentioned, Evan, that they, because they're in this desolate atmosphere, they only see each other, that they could be on edge to begin with. But I had never, I just kind of always had the impression that they were recently arrived to the base. Um, I guess it may just be that there had not been enough exposition at the beginning showing these guys in their doldrums and cabin fever. Like, it was just very quick. Like, the only thing you see is, like, Kurt Russell dumping his liquor into the only fucking chess computer they have. It's like, dude, that's very short-sighted of you. (laughs) you would be here a while.
0: (laughs) It could have been they just got there. I mean, they mentioned that they can't leave at some point until... I guess spring, like the winter is over. So presumably you would come like before winter and then you would leave after I'm guessing. So yeah, I mean, maybe they were just there. I don't know.
2: Yeah. Like, um, it didn't seem especially like stir crazy ish. Um, cause like, you know, like, uh, the one dude, is just skating around and like listening to music. Everybody's like kind of like doing their own thing, but like, nobody's like coming apart at the seams. Which is they all seem very comfortable, like routines for sure, but not like, you know,
1: on it. I mean, maybe it were certain things that they were doing, like when the guy refuses to turn off the radio and the other guy's like begging him to over the intercom he's like, turn that fucking thing down. The guy just doesn't. <laughs> I thought They, really they still
0: funny. had a lot of booze and a lot of weed left. So clearly they, they, they weren't running right. low on supplies. Okay. Yeah. And I think Knolls is the character you're talking about, the one who was like skating around. Um, yeah. I'll say, we'll see uh, it's funny like the i didn't i didn't write that many notes down when i was one of them but one of them was like what were they researching was like one of the main thing i was thinking of and then the other thing too is they go back to the norwegian base to like see what's up and they didn't send they sent the, the like the medical doctor and the pilot which makes sense they need the pilot to get them there why didn't they send if they were really looking to see what happened they would have sent an actual researcher but no i,
2: don't, I would i would say that in that case like they think that something like fucked up and catastrophic has happened. You don't need the geologist or iceologist or whatever the fuck like research people they have there. In that in that case, yeah, you need the pilot to get you there. The doctor seems like it would be high priority because if these people are like flying around in helicopters just shooting at animals, like being crazy and throwing hand grenades, then they're probably going there, not like, oh, I wonder what they're researching and more like, oh I hope anybody's left alive. Yeah, there was something Kevin Fever at that point.
0: Well, it did seem they, they like it seems like implied that the Norwegians, I, I don't know, like their their research place seems smaller, like when they're walking around it. And it seemed more sciencey. <laughs> I don't know. And clearly they had done something. They had literally excavated this thing from the ice, which at the time, you don't really have any backstory. And actually, it's a good point because you mentioned, Mike, that you watched the the sequel, I think, or the prequel. I think, Brandon, you said yeah. you've seen it, too. The I haven't requel? seen it. And it, The requel. Which I think is cool. Carpenter had no part in it, but it doesn't mean it. You said it was like, what, a fine movie? Not, not good, not bad, but just fine.
1: Middling. It, was yeah. decent. I, it introduced another plot point that I um, ended up kind of like retroactively applying to the, the 1982 version, which was that the thing can't replicate inanimate objects like inorganic material. So people's titanium rods, uh, their fillings, notably, is like a plot point in there. And so they oh, use yeah. that as a test to see who is or is not the thing. And I remember thinking, um, I was talking to you about it Evan, before the recording. There's the one character who has like this really gaudy nose ring and it doesn't even make sense for his character. It's just like, looks weird on him. But then I thought that was going to be a thing later where he is conspicuously without it. And then people know that it's, he's an alien. And then that doesn't happen at all. He's the guy who gets his hands just eaten by the chest cavity of the thing when he's trying to like resuscitate the guy. Yeah. And, uh, it's just funny because it is like a major plot point in the in the prequel. Um, and it's a good one too. I think it it works very well for them.
0: I'm guessing Carpenter didn't even like consider that as a piece of it. He just like, you know But
1: then it also fits in perfectly because then it, it's funny to think that the Norwegians figured that out and then the Americans did it, because that is what the prequel is. It's telling the story of the Norwegians at that base, and then it ends with the guy getting into the helicopter chasing after that dog that shows up at the American base. Like it it's a perfectly they recreate the shot and everything. It's very good
0: what Amer- americans being second rate at their <laughs> research
2: <laughs> it's cuz they were using the imperial system <laughs>
0: yeah. uh,
2: no it's because the dod picked to all the scientists that went
0: <laughs> yeah they're 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 just to spy on the norwegians they weren't there to actually i don't know that actually that actually might track they're there just to kind of keep tabs on the other researchers
1: so another cool point that i I was watching some other support material like there was some bits of like John Carpenter talking about the movie or just other horror fans talking about it, and they said that it's really cool that this monster has noticeably different um like body parts from different creatures because it's been to thousands of different worlds already and replicated those creatures so it's got tentacles and crab legs and all these other different things, and that's why it like sprouts all those things from like a human head or whatever and like does all these crazy it's it's really cool in that way once you think about it but like didn't occur to me until someone said it.
0: It's interesting because one of the it's actually like a good segue. The one of the uh, I, like I knew that this movie was not well liked when it came out. I mean, pretty much all of John Carpenter's movies were not well. I mean, I feel like Halloween is one of the few ones, but not at the time when it came out. It was kind of a. You, know, you, you want
2: to hear like this is totally not the thing. But John Carpenter, do you want to hear my favorite not liked when it came out thing about John Carpenter?
0: Oh, yeah, please
2: when he did assault on precinct 13, uh, when it went to be reviewed for its rating, um, they were like, yeah, this this thing where you like cold blooded kill a child not going to float because there's a scene in the movie where a, a child's like buying ice cream from an ice cream truck and it just gets shot dead. And so they were like, you have to remove that scene. And then the movie is good to go with whatever like PG 13 or R rating that it ended up getting. But like that scene was like a hard pass. No go. Right. And so he was just like, yeah, no problem. And then just lied to them and said that it was removed and released, (laughs) released the movie with the footage of the child being shot still in it.
0: They didn't even bother checking.
2: I mean, for all I know, he showed them a copy where it had been removed and then just did not distribute
0: that copy. (laughs) That's funny. Well, the, the, well, the, the thing that, I mean, I think the review I read before, so it was from the New York times from when it came out in 1982 and like, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but there's some part of it where he basically says, he says, gosh, I had the part. I think there's a point in it where he's saying that like the shape of the, of the, of like the thing and the fact that it has like all these tentacles and it can like move really fast like makes it super lame but actually in talking in what you said mike that, it's like that's it has like a reasoning for that like i I don't feel like john carpenter does things related to like his creatures or like the specifics in the movie like on accident you know he is he has a purpose whether he's actually politicizing them probably not but he's clearly has a a way he wants it to look
2: i would say another argument against the idea that this was made with any sort of like political intention, like even though you can like, you know, the monster among us works as like a metaphor for like the attitude towards communism in the era. Um, This is supposedly based very closely on a story that was written in like 1938. And so like you, you could easily make an argument that that was like, you know, within the scope of the red scare, but like, you know, it was, it was different. Like the red, scare and everything associated with it really like ramped up hard after world war ii like so in, in in 38 like you know we were i really don't know what the attitude in america was but like it at least superficially we, we were allied with russia so
0: well and, and it's like oh, go ahead, Mike.
2: i was just
1: gonna say I, i'm gonna completely change the subject um so okay oh, well,
0: just, i'll just yeah. say this one thing i was just gonna say that like in the 30s Especially, I think, I don't know, We were talking about this maybe on one of the, in one of the chats about how that was before movies basically in the United States were scrubbing out anything related to communism and, you know, uh, I'm blanking on the name of the act that they basically passed or not passed, but does anyone know what I'm talking about?
1: It's probably going to be some like HUAC thing, right, Brandon?
0: Yeah, some, fuck. I've had this conversation. I listened to a podcast about it. I'm like screwing up here.
2: I'm I'm sorry. Repeat what it was that
0: you were. So like in around like 1936 or 1937, they basically created a law. I don't know if it was like an official law or like loosely official law to prevent like sex in movies, you know, communism. Basically. Specifically
2: in in film. Um, Yes. I really don't know anything about it.
0: And I don't, and I'm, I'm trying to, ble- oh, I, so I guess you are saying is like this, the original stories from the thirties.
2: Yeah. As, as soon as I said, like, I don't know where, like the red scare wasn't really ramped up yet. I like a, a flood of everything I actually know about the era came back to me and was like, no, we were, we were hardcore. Like this country fucking hated communists. CP USA was actually probably among the strongest it's ever been around then. But like 38 specifically would have been a weird year because again, like World War II, like we we were allied with Russia and CPUSA was pro-World War II. And a lot of people were joining the U.S. military because they thought that this could be like a turn for the U.S. military to go like do some anti-imperialism and, you know, beat down some fascists and just generally do good. And it caused like all sorts of like goofy shit to happen. Like, honestly, it was probably like the last like the the death knell of of CPUSA. Like they did good stuff for decades afterwards, but it was always a fucking weird organization after that. But yeah, like in in the 30s, like, you know, that was, uh, you know, Joe Bob sheriff in the country, like running communists out of town or stringing them up. So it was it was not a friendly era. So, yeah, that would actually be really curious to I look into the the author of the original story that it was based on because I I have somehow talked I didn't think about this at all before I said it and I have completely changed my mind like it is entirely possible <laughs> that this short story was written about like the communists among us. I don't feel like it was, but it definitely could be.
0: Yeah. So I I so the thing that I was thinking of was called the Hayes code. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's, that was the, the piece. And I just looked up the guy you were talking about. So, well, I know you wanted to say something, Mike, but I'll just say I, I was trying to find anything about the person who wrote the original um, story, but apparently he was a, like a science fiction writer and he went to MIT. And so he was very into science and all these kinds of things. I don't know what his opinions were, but I think he might've been pro uh, pro. Proseg- Pro against segregation or pro segregation? I think. Well, scratch that. I'll, no way, an
1: anti-communist being pro-segregation? I can't. I can't picture that. <laughs>
0: yeah, but yeah, the, I, I I don't have enough uh, information to quickly scan this to to see it. So you say what you're gonna bring up, Mike?
1: Sorry to go in like a completely different direction. Like to take the opposite tack and say that uh, yeah, maybe the thing is a metaphor for communism, but in the opposite way because um, it's like. So I remember hearing about like Genghis Khan from a a fucking podcast. It was like through a Joe Rogan pipeline. And so I'm sure a lot of uh, bros out there are familiar with it as well. But this whole podcast always talks very favoringly about Genghis Khan and his effectiveness as a warrior and a leader. And one of the things they noticed that he would adopt anything that worked and he was almost dialectical in that way, like anything that he would take from his enemies that he conquered, whatever like maneuvers they would use or any kind of artillery. If it worked, they would take it in. It would become part of their culture as well. And that's kind of what the thing is as well. And people have always kind of been scared of that thing that subsumes and absorbs everything, uh, regardless of like ideology or beliefs or anything like just, or or other qualifications or criteria, just like it sucks you up into it. And there's nothing you can do about it. And that's very terrifying for people. But in that way, like I could almost make the, uh, the case that the thing is dialectical, like the hot take that the thing is good and like the, the capitalist individualists like all they could do was burn everything down including themselves like they ended up killing themselves at the end of it because it's the only thing they could do to beat that like immortal science of the thing that, that takes everything into it and, and you could you could then make that case i mean if we want to talk about that relating to the struggle of imperialism versus capitalists threatening nuclear war just to, to stop anti-imperialism
2: it's like you could definitely make that case um, so I had to tune out what you were just saying for a second because I found the Wikipedia article on the author of the original short story. And holy fuck. <laughs> so the claim is that he he just loved playing devil's advocate and would argue any position, I- even if he disagreed with it, if it meant for a livelier debate, a thing that maybe had validity at some point. We all know that like uh, what the whole fucking devil's advocate thing looks like nowadays It's just a bunch of Nazis arguing for Nazism, basically. Um, It turns out in uh, the 30s and 40s, it wasn't much different because there's just a whole bunch of quotes about him advocating for slavery under the guise of the devil's advocate. And uh, apparently this guy worked closely with L. Ron Hubbard to form what later became Dianetics.
0: Oh, Jesus.
2: (laughs) So, So I wish I didn't know anything about this guy because this has now left a small like tainted residue on one of my favorite movies.
1: Not die next, bro. Dialectics. You went with the wrong one.
2: He he, apparently he was like old school. Like, I think he was like early style libertarian because there's a whole thing about how like anti-regulation and anti-government he was. Fucking lame. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, it's, it's, I think that's funny. It says that he went to MIT, but in parentheses, it says no degree because he didn't actually finish. (laughs) I mean, I don't know why that's funny to me, but it is. And he also went to Duke University and got a, a degree. So, but, but I will say what you said, Mike, is that MIT was lot... too
1: liberal. I just wanted to say that real quick. That <laughs> he had to go to Duke because they wouldn't, they weren't indoctrinating him with like gender ideology or something.
0: But like the thing being good and being your view of it being like, that's wait.
2: Oh, fuck. Dialectical. I found something. I'm, I'm just going to read this sentence direct from, uh, the assessment by peers section of his Wikipedia article. Are you all ready for this? British science fiction novelist Michael Moorcock, which is just what a name, uh, as part of his Starship Stormtroopers editorial, said Campbell's stories and its writers were wild-eyed paternalists to a man, fierce anti-socialists with stories full of crew-cut, wisecracking, cigar-chewing, competent guys like Campbell's image of himself, who had success because th- uh, their work reflected the deep-seated conservatism of the majority of their readers who saw a Bolsev- Bolshevik menace in every union meeting. He viewed Campbell as turning the magazine into a vessel for right-wing politics. By the early 1950s, a crypto-fascist, deeply Philistine magazine pretending to to intellectualism and offering idealistic kids an alternative that was, of course, no alternative at all. Yeah. So apparently, the author of the original short story actually stood a pretty good chance of writing this as a critique of communism. So, man, I wish I had done more research before coming onto this. It's been a, a hectic <laughs> week for me. No, but I like, feel, yeah, that's. I feel,
0: I feel bad that I didn't look into the story because I knew that it was <laughs> one. But I didn't look into it, but actually, that. So no, our, our st-
2: joking assessment of of this being anti communist now stands to potentially just be on the nose.
0: Uh, let, let me pose this question then: So you have the writer who writes this story in the 30s, is super fashy, anti communist. You know, sees sees the Bolsheviks as infiltrating America. So he creates this story. I, I haven't read the story, so it'd be interesting to see how close they are. So a thing which is clearly the Bolsheviks, communism, is infiltrating this group of scientists. Does John Carpenter make this movie knowing this information and then intentionally kind of making it apolitical to strip it from that initial meeting?
2: Well, I OK, so I've never seen the original uh, The Thing from Another Planet. Me either. But I saw an interview with John Carpenter where he explicitly said that when he was approached to remake the thing from another planet and it was one of his favorite movies. So he didn't want to like try his hand at actually just a straightforward remake. So he went with the something closer to the original short story so that he didn't feel like he was stepping on the original movie.
0: Oh, that's worse. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Uh, that's, I mean, but it doesn't necessarily mean, oh, man, now am I like a John Carpenter apologist now? Am I like? Uh, I <sighs> mean,
2: like, we're, well, because we're coming at this from a leftist perspective. Yes, well, you are. Um, well, I
0: mean, well, I guess I guess my, I guess am I saying, like, if you're saying he was going off the direct source material for this movie, did he like know the. Pol- we won't probably. I didn't see. I don't think I, I saw nothing about this where he talked about it specifically. Do you think he knew that this dude was, was writing this as like anti-communist propaganda or.
2: I mean, we have uh, in the last, you know, five to 10 minutes, like made quite a progression to, to this being like legitimately an ant, like it does sound strongly like that is the case, but we've, I've read like a half a paragraph of the Wikipedia article on this fucking guy. So I'm not quite ready to lean in super hard that, this was written explicitly to be like anti-Bolshevik. That being said, you know, we, we are used to the access to information that we have now. Uh, And I like to forget that, you know, somebody like John Carpenter, who in probably 1979, 1980, who's starting work on this movie couldn't just hop on Google, look up the author. Like, right. He would have, he would have had to have been in the library, like doing deep dives to find out like the politics of this guy and then when on top of that you factor in the fact that he was approached to do the remake of the original movie i don't think that there's a lot that points to john carpenter having uh any sort of strong political leanings in this or as much as he just thought it was a good story yeah
0: no, i that that is more likely you're right though he wasn't able to just he could have read the original story but how did he know he would have had to then go back and read other articles that he's written in that that magazine you just mentioned what was it the, Star, the storm, the stormship troopers starship troopers
2: <laughs> like oh, wait where was it i don't know pretty flashy sounding name but the starship,
0: starship stormtroopers.
2: stormtroopers oh it's not that okay don't do that
0: bet. he definitely was a starship the,
1: stormtroopers yeah
0: i wonder if that's where uh lucas got his uh his name from probably so
1: you could fully make the case that carpenter made a uh I know you you could tell me that he was fully right-wing himself, very reactionary and knew the politics of both the original short story and the intent of it and everything. And then tried to make another anti-communist movie in the early eighties, like just to be a good boy for the U S like, and I would still say that he's unintentionally making a critique of individualism and its inadequacy against like a collective thing
2: with a unified goal. It's like, um, and just the fact that he doesn't, Nothing is more effective. It's like pointing out the problems with right wing ideology than right wing ideology.
1: Exactly. Let it it play out, like let it come to its logical conclusions in any situation at all. Um, But the fact that it doesn't like lionize the people who represent capitalism and just like order and the good Americans and everything, the fact that they all have like their flaws, they're all just like very human people. And then they don't inclusively win at the end. It's like that makes me think it's not such a clear cut. Uh, one-to-one it's not like animal farm it's not like a yeah. simple allegory for children you know it's like
0: but you are right though there's lots of these sort of right-wingy books or not or then made to movies like it says that one of his uh his influences was uh Heinlein which is a well-known like anti-communist author in his you know he's the original Starship Troopers which he was writing as like fascist for like fanfic you know, so I wouldn't be shocked if he was. The other thing, too, is John Carpenter was just influenced by that time of being anti communist, even if you weren't, didn't realize it yourself. It just, yeah, like I mean, like, it, it bled into his movies.
2: It, it, like, uh, we, I've had this conversation innumerable times and probably with Mike at least once or twice, but like, there hasn't been a left in the US in decades. And it's, it's a lot of it is because of that, like the anti-communist shit was so effective, especially like in the 70s and 80s when, you know, we we really were able to like effectively convince people that that was like, you know, the end in uh, times if we let the communists win. And with uh, any sort of leftist movement in the U.S. like effectively squashed, like it's I'm, I'm not even sure what point I was trying to make, but just. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's hard. Oh, I know. Um, it, it's, it's just hard to fault someone in 1980 for maybe not understanding the full scope of the political spectrum because it had been destroyed. And again, like, you know, there was no internet. It's it's not like you could start eight meme pages and radicalize people, you know, one at a time. Cause the Instagram keeps removing them. The, uh,
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you had to make movies and when you, if you actually were left leaning trying to make those movies one you weren't they wouldn't let you and two if they did let you they were then sanitized to where they would be palpable for the masses i mean there are only a few directors that i can think of which i used to think of john carpenter's writing kind of intentional unintentional kind of subversive plots but i think of like oliver stone's probably like one of the few actually writing anti-war movies and getting away with it pretty heavily but other than that i mean not a big list
2: I would say something good to look at for like the 70s and 80s since we're discussing film is the treatment of unions in cinema in that era, because like at the time it did not matter the context. If a if a union member or union boss or anything showed up in a movie, he was probably like that super corrupt, like maybe an enforcer, like uh, mafia affiliated. Like there was a very like clear cut image of who they wanted to portray unions as. And, and God, I wish I could remember where there was a podcast where like I heard somebody talking about it, but they were specifically going out of their way to discuss like the few movies that they could think of that were moderately pro union.
0: Norma, well, Ray. honestly, what's that? Norma Ray is one of the few.
2: Norma Ray was one that they talked and about. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Mate one. That one's like uh, yeah. from the eighties, I believe. But like for everyone that you can think of that was pro, like there were maybe weren't a lot of sp- whole movies that were entirely like there to just condemn and squash unions. But the general caricature of like, a union member being like corrupt and lazy and so on and so forth was, was representative in an absolutely fucking enormous amount of movies.
0: It's true. I mean, they weren't, yeah, it's, that's like a whole nother thing is like whether they, the people who actually were pro union and wanted to make those movies just like couldn't because those aren't the movies that would (laughs) Hollywood wanted. They didn't want that, that message. I mean, Mike was just saying we're before as like completely random mini tangent is that we're talking about so many Netflix shows get canceled after like two seasons. And my theory was just because, Oh, well it's cheaper to start a new show because you know, you don't have to, it just starting from scratch. But apparently Mike was saying it's because the union cost of the, of the, of the workers goes up.
2: Yeah. After three seasons, they say that it is, it is rare for a show. Like it was unusual that things like stranger things, um, have been renewed on Netflix for so many seasons because they generally end it by season three because it becomes more cost prohibitive after that I had heard season three if it was season two I would believe that as well but like
0: Stranger Things is like probably an exception because it was so popular and like it probably made them enough money to cover whatever yeah they wanted to do I know we've like straight, we've strayed from the movie, which I think is it's totally fair given the like the the plot of the movie. But are there any, like I don't know, I, being that you're both fans of this movie, what would you say like are some of your uh, favorite scenes from this movie? In terms Head
2: of, walking just, like a crab.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. uh, uh-huh. I un, like I unabashedly love this movie just for the effects. Like I. Um, such a slut for practical effects like this and they're so good this is like the apex
0: and it looks and they look great given the time like they're they're movies that have come out in the last like in the early 2000s that have like aged to shit where like you can't even watch the effects anymore and meanwhile this came out 40 years ago 41 years ago
1: that really is the thing about it too it's not even just that they're good effects but like they're done so well that like when they show this creature in all the various different forms of like mutating into different things and then different creatures come out like at the end when he faces the final boss it's like another of the dogs comes out of the middle of it just like sprouts out of there um there's so many different like creature things sprouting out of it it's just so creative that like they don't have to flash by it really quick like you can stare at this thing for like you know several slow frames of seconds at a time and still see a whole bunch of different horrifying things that really look human or like animal and organic in such a way it's like but then melted and horrifying and they do a really good job of making that just really gross in a lot of ways like the sliminess of it like um yeah they, they just do a really good job of that and with the silicone or whatever they're using
2: it's very impressive that way again something i saw him specifically discuss in an interview And he brought up something that it never would have occurred to me if he didn't say it explicitly. And apparently that was all lighting. Uh. He said that, like, if they had lit it differently, it would have either like if they had gone darker, obviously it would have lost a lot because uh, there's such like a vivid color palette to a lot of like these creatures, too. And to darken it would have like really taken it away. But any lighter and he's like he was talking about how uh, the brighter the lights were getting, like the more obviously it was a silicone prosthetic or a puppet or whatever. Uh, so apparently like a lot of that was just dousing it in whatever the weird stuff that makes it look slimy is, and then lighting it just perfectly so that it's not too dark, but it's not bright enough to see that it's obviously a prop.
0: Yeah. I mean, he, he does. Yeah. His, his effects in pretty much all of his movies are pretty spot on. And then not to top on the top of that completely unrelated is just always the scores, for his movies, which he mostly does himself. So I think in this one he didn't write. This is like one of the few movies where he didn't score himself, I think. I'd have to fact check that. Uh I thought
2: he did, but I I, I don't know. You, you could
0: be right. Uh, A music oh no, this one wasn't. It's by Ennio Ennio Moroccone. Okay. But yeah, I think pretty much every I think every other movie he's I don't know why he decided he didn't want to do this one or whatever, or maybe he collaborated with him. I don't even know. But the, um, I, I mean, I always love, I mean, I guess it's like the, I don't want to call it like the quintessential scene of the, um, the movie, but like the one that I feel like is the most tension filled is when they're doing like the paperclip and the blood is just a great scene. Yep. And the, um, There was a line that i i noted down i think it was uh i don't remember which character said it and maybe you can remind me i think it was child at some point he's like because he's like super skeptical of like the idea of there being an alien like he's like the skeptic i mean i guess they're all kind of skeptical but he's like the super skeptic and he like calls he refers to like it being like some voodoo bullshit. and then he says something about like aliens how they taught the incas to build like things and i was thinking about how this is like this trope you sometimes would see in movies where they assume that humans couldn't possibly have built the things they built because they needed like alien aliens to help them.
2: That's one of my favorite things that when somebody starts talking some like, like ancient or uh ancient astronaut bullshit, I will immediately call that out as racist. And people are like, what, how's that racist? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's it's I love it because it's one of the ones that you can convince people of the quickest. And it's just like, oh, because it's always about an African or South American civilization that people don't believe could possibly be advanced enough to move large pieces of stone. And they're like, yeah. oh, yeah, that's yep. OK. Point taken.
0: Yeah, it's 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 a, it's an easy to spot uh, racist that the literal words I wrote on my piece of paper was racist stereotype. So, yeah, that's
1: the only exception, I guess, is Stonehenge
0: only because it's sort of it's it's still unknown
1: well i mean people just like assume that like i mean i don't think it's a unknown or anything but people just like will still say that it's done by aliens or whatever because they're big pieces of stone or whatever and that is in like england or whatever where is, i don't know where it is but um
0: yeah it's like north of england
1: yeah but i, I don't think yeah. that's that even I, I feel like that's a less popular one to get chalked up to aliens because it's not that big it's like not that impressive i guess i don't know also, there's, wife- there's a, there's a popular idea for how the stones were moved around, too. So, I mean, I, I thought there was like, I was under the impression that all these feats of engineering that are attributed to aliens had been figured out by modern masons and, and you know, engineers at this point, And that it was just crackpots who think it was anything else. Like, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah.
0: You like, yeah, I think it's more like people. I think now it's more like a. Some people might be joking about it, but one thing that I noticed too, this is just another like completely random thing. And I think throughout the movie, they're drinking American bourbon or whiskey, but I think there's like a scene towards the end where they're drinking Smirnoff, and I, I think it's like the last one of the last things they drink. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. They had some Smirnoff there, and yeah, I really am
2: like, oh, is J and B American? I don't oh, know what it, it is. is. It's
1: Scotch. I
0: Oh, you're right. It's not. It's not American, is it? Well, do they drink Jack Daniels or no?
1: Is it all? No, J&B? they drink J&B. And then he leaves the doctor in that tool shed with like a, another clear bottle of something, but I can't remember what it is. It look, it was a white lick, liquor, or I mean, a clear liquor. Um, oh, so I think Baby it was vodka. just at the
0: end. What did I
1: read? And then Childs and Kurt Russell definitely both sip on Kurt's trusty bottle of J B at the end. Um,
0: Oh, so the the port where he's drinking Smirnoff is when the doctor is doing, like, that computer, like, simulation of what the, like, the spreading of it and it creating it. And he's, like, well, getting, know. like, really stressed out. I think it's Blair. And then he starts taking drinks of, uh, of Smirnoff, which I thought was funny because...
2: Which I, I have to ask, did they have the computing power to <laughs> do that, like... And no, also if, if, if they did, like, how did he write a program that afternoon yeah, to to figure that <laughs> out? That is,
0: they, they, they had a, they had a, a chess computer that could like barely function. And this, this dude's writing like high level scripts on his, you know, Apache. I don't know what the computers were exactly. then. The, that Apple. was
1: peak. Like, I mean, he did have like a, a much more BV computer set up than Kurt Russell did for his little chess game. Like That's he had, true. That, he did wall of arrays or whatever he did but like still that is very much a depending on the audience ignorance when you just say the word computer in 1982 and then like oh yeah of course he can make that computer just theorize the entire world scenario of this virus or this alien it's like (laughs) of course
0: Well, but my my like my like thinking thinking of it now as like this anti-communist movie and he's figuring out how the alien is spreading how the communism is spreading and then he's drinking Smirnoff like I feel like that could have Couldn't have been like an accidental. I refuse to believe that was an accident, but I'm just. I like it. I don't know. Could could just be a he's a Smirnoff guy. I don't know.
2: Should have been Banker's Club or something.
0: (laughs) No.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The the doc is Blair, the one who was drinking the Smirnoff. He's also the one who was infected and they locked him in the shed and they weren't sure that he was him or not. And they end up building like a spaceship underneath it. Um that they they're not aware of until they until he dies, right? am i am I mistaken that?
0: No, it was Blair. They lock him in like the like the shed, right? and he sabotages all the computers and steals the like equipment right to build something So he is an alien,
1: and so maybe was he an alien when he's drinking the fucking smear off and running the simulations on his own? or like I guess when are we meant to think that he became an alien and started building that spaceship underneath It was it after they locked him in the tool shed? Interesting. He, like- the whole reason he flips out is because he's drinking too much he sees the you know implications of having this thing and what it's going to mean for civilization that's what he says like in his rant when he's like destroying everything he's going nuts anybody who tries to stop him he's like <laughs>
0: Okay,
1: Blair. I think at that point he be, we're meant to believe that he arrives at the conclusion that all of them have to die. They have to burn everything down at the base because it's too late. And he says in his rants, he's like, if a, even a single cell gets back to civilization, it's going to subsume all of the world um in a matter of like seventy-two hours or whatever it is. So it's like some kind of catastrophic thing. And so He's like firing a gun. He's like doing what he's like swinging the axe around. He's destroying everything. And they eventually subdue him and sedate him. And that's when they lock him in the tool shed. But then it makes me think that, yeah, he must have um, gotten murked by the thing while he was out in that tool shed and then started building build his little tunnel and spaceship underneath it.
0: Yeah, he wouldn't have gone on that whole rant if he had been the thing, presumably.
2: Yeah, it would want to if if anything, he would be like, I don't know. I think we should definitely get back as soon as we can. We should, we should get somebody on the radio. Like if, if that's, if that's the goal, then he really. Yeah.
0: Right. And then like when he becomes a thing, he's like, damn it. I fucked this shit up. I, I had my chance. Yeah. Like it's that whole, like, I think I wrote, I tried to write down the rant. It says like the thing want doesn't want us to show itself. Um, It's like an imitation. I can't even read my own sure i could like look at the imdb and see it but yeah like that whole he's like the only one who's really understands it and then i feel like McCready just like kind of believes him it's like realizes like oh this could be bad and that's like right after that one like he basically becomes a de facto leader of the whole the whole place i believe i think he like takes the gun from him and then they the yeah. whole little the whole scene yeah, there's but. a very
1: tense scene because there's that scene like it's another good scene that's probably it's before even the, the paperclip scene you were talking about when they're starting to suspect each other. And Gary, the guy with the gun, it's kind of just known to be a hothead. He was the one who shot the Norwegian guy to begin with. He shot him through the window, just like, I'm not asking questions. I see these people shooting things out there and he just shoots them. And, um, Honestly, if someone comes at me throwing hand grenades, I'm going to shoot them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, fair enough. But um, there is that tense scene where. They start to try to decide who should even carry the gun and who they're going to trust is not the thing or not. And one of the kind of lesser known characters, he starts backing out of the room, runs for the emergency shotguns. And he's like, look, the guy who has the gun right now, maybe it's the thing. And you're all talking about following his orders. It's like, I don't know if any of you guys are the thing or not. And he's just like getting rightfully kind of paranoid. And they were suspecting him of being the thing up until that point. It's just like a really good scene that de- depicts the just everyone's suspecting everyone. It's really good.
0: That's like that's just the whole. I, I saw some like medium article where someone was writing about their like what the thing means, and they just referred to it as just kind of like the idea of like paranoia of being stuck out in the middle of Antarctica and like you're not trusting anyone. I mean, I think that's probably true, but I think it goes.
2: Yeah. The thing is about the paranoia of being in, trapped in Antarctica with a bunch of Bolsheviks.
0: That I and mean, that'd be cool as hell. They'd be uh, they'd be doing some. They could organize a Norwegian camp or something. I'm
2: going to learn to direct so I can remake the thing. But like, instead of it being monsters, it's just actual
0: communists (laughs) and they win. If they get the, the the single cell is just like the communist manifesto. If they just like bring the communist manifesto back to civilization, we all, we all be good.
2: I love it. Uh,
0: (laughs) um, But yeah, I think it is a um, indirect anti-communist movie. Maybe. But now, now, I now I want to like go down like the rabbit hole. I want to find like that dude. Um, what was his name? Uh, John W. Campbell Jr. I want to find sort of his like his little origin. Content. I did find that he
2: was good friends with Heinlein.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I'm also curious to know what the original story was because I've done a few mo- mo- uh, movie episodes where there's like source material. And generally speaking, I feel like it's pretty been pretty good. Like Blade Runner, based on like the Philip Dick book, which is almost maybe even I wouldn't say it's better; it's different. But it's interesting. It'd be interesting. I should have done that homework before this was to read skim through it or something. But um, I don't know. I don't know if you guys have any last uh, last thoughts on the uh, the movie or or anything on it.
2: I'm I'm just going to forget that the last hour happened and continue enjoying this movie the same way that I always have, because I, I hate that it has become abundantly clear that this is probably actually anti-communist propaganda, inadvertently, possibly, but anti-communist yeah. propaganda nonetheless.
1: And I'm going to walk away from it with a newfound enjoyment, knowing that the thing is as unstoppable as the immortal science. And the fact that it was written by a fucking chud doesn't make any difference because they always unintentionally arrive at communism. A by different name and they just usually exclude people that they don't like because they're always giving away their own insecurities. But um, yeah, they, they always just kind of arrive at the fact that they're wrong and that communism is inevitable anyway. It's just
2: a matter of time. I have found like whole paragraphs of this guy arguing, quote unquote, you know, devil's advocate about how uh, slavery actually was good for black people. So this is the person we're dealing with.
0: So is the, is the thing like the specter of communism? Is that what we're saying now?
2: Honestly, just reading about this guy, the thing is probably the specter of interracial marriage for all I know. <laughs> like, uh, dude, this dude's not cool.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this guy is a, a questionable checkered, uh, Oh, he was questionable
2: checkered. when I started reading about him at this point. He is just a fucking piece of shit.
0: The book or like the story is called Who Goes There. Yeah. So it was printed in... So obviously, it was printed as The Thing for Another World, which was the original movie. But it seems like it was just like a very short, short story, like only... I don't know how long exactly it is, but there is a lot of information about this. I didn't look at the entire Wikipedia about it, but it seems like... It actually says that they based... One there's an episode of X Files where they find like some something in the ice. I think the episode was called Ice, and it's actually loosely based on this book too. It seems like there's a lot of.
2: I watched that episode like two weeks ago.
0: Oh, I love X Files. Yeah, um, there's an episode apparently of Deep Space Nine from Star Trek: The Adversary where it's loosely based on this. Although you could say like the idea of there being a shape shifting alien infiltrating a crew probably all came from this at some point. You know, you know whether you Intentionally or not, kind of thing. So, I mean,
2: it's honestly, it's a good trope. It, it's a good sure. like vehicle for building suspense and mistrust. Like, God, uh, what, what was that fucking game that everyone was obsessed with like two years ago? Among, among us. us. Yeah, like God, that whole video game is probably based on this fucking short story.
0: Although I actually just learned on Tuesday, we were talking about uh, Parasite with the guys from Intervention Podcast, and the, apparently, the person who wrote. The Last of Us. Was that what you are just talking about or no?
2: No, no. Uh, Among uh, yeah. Us is a video game where you have oh, to okay. figure out who. The same thing, though. I was confusing. using Okay. Yeah, yeah,
0: I was confusing it, but I learned that The Last of Us apparently was written by a guy who was like a Zionist and was creating it as like a Palestinian versus Israeli conflict, which really just fucking destroyed that show for me.
2: That sucks. I think the show is that interesting anyway, except for the one best gay episode ever.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I think it was it was good, but that definitely kind of puts a little stain on it. But I know, I think you're right. Like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, you could maybe say is somewhat similar-ish to similar, but has a, a similar trope from this. Um, actually, I think it says that someone claims, and like Alien, right? I mean, that's a, a, another another similar thing. But yeah, it's a, it is a good trope, and it does make a good movie. And I don't know. I'm going to come away from this still liking this movie, but I'm now going to you know, assume that the thing is communism.
2: And in the grand scheme of, of making content, I really appreciate that we came upon all of this information, like on recording <laughs> oh, on the fly. I love it. And like we're like, Oh, none of us researched this at all. What are we going to come up with? And it was <laughs> just a hot garbage.
0: <laughs> well, that's definitely, oh, <laughs> that's definitely my, my fault. I was, it's funny. I was thinking of this movie. I'm like, this is a, you know, it's a fun movie. I like this movie. It's a horror movie. To talk about, you know, oh, it's about communism, not thinking much about it, not doing much more beyond like what Carpenter said about it. And then I think I just slipped my mind that it was based on this short story, which I'm glad that we stumbled upon it mid like at minute twenty of this episode to uh to bring you on the fly fact checking. And uh John Carpenter would not have been able to do this if he in nineteen eighty two or eighty one when he was when he was making this movie.
2: Yeah, I still in in my heart of hearts either I'm deluding myself or not. I don't know. But I, I kind of feel like John Carpenter is probably not a shitty dude. Like, no,
0: I don't think so. He seems like a genuinely good person. He, you know, he's not. And the same thing, too. Like, you could he could sell out and make like hot garbage movies for probably big money. But he makes the movies he wants to make. And I, I got to respect him for that.
2: Actually, I will throw in one one thing, though. He uh, he I, didn't he do. The, didn't he direct uh, Escape from L.A.? He did. Yeah, let's not forget that basically Che Guevara was the villain in that
0: movie. You're right. I'm supposed to do that movie in like a couple weeks.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fuck.
0: Well, now, now, I mean, that's fair. I mean, and then you, and then actually, Escape from New York, which I did do, but the audio got lost, and I didn't wasn't able to publish it. But that movie uh, is pretty much good. It's very anti. Like the whole thing is like they need to get a box so that they can prevent like nuclear war between Russia, Soviet Union, and United States. Yeah.
2: I, I actually think that in escape from LA, the choice to make the character so much like Che Guevara was aesthetic more than uh symbolic, um, possible because like, they really don't you like delve into ideology for that character very heavily. And it's effectively, it's basically just like a almost kind of remake of escape from New York, which both function is d- acutely like, you may maybe not anti-capital but like at least critical of like modern systems like
0: for sure yeah i mean you almost i mean i feel like escape from new york is very satirical in the way that it describes like the police state that's that you know like what we're i feel like that's more on the line of like they live than than maybe this movie which different kind of movie different action versus like a horror
2: i think if if john carpenter has a crime it's it's the very frustrating thing of like trying to critique something while having no ideology to like, like present as an alternative. Like there's nothing more infuriating to me than any more, like at this point in my life, like I have so many friends who like want to criticize capitalism and I'm and I'm like, okay, you're halfway there, but you're rejecting the rest of it. So what the fuck is your point?
0: That's the problem with so many, I say this in a couple episodes on sort of anti-capitalist movies where there's, kind of a revolutionary spirit, but then there's no, these movies never present any kind of actual alternative. They're just like, this is bad. We should stop it, but we don't know what to do. There's nothing we can do about it. And that's also the the alternatives
1: that have been tried just as scary as we know, according to the capitalists that we agree are bad.
0: (laughs) Right. So it's, it's the, it's the, the constant movie. You don't like, you don't get too many movies where there's actually a revolutionary spirit and then actual, successful next steps. Yeah. I don't think you're gonna.
1: And if they do, it's like anarcho-syndicalism. <laughs> yeah.
2: what, what, what movie is that?
1: No, I'm just saying like, <laughs> they, they'll never call it that, but it's always like they end up in like the Shire or something. They just get right to the oh, end oh, point oh, oh. where okay. the bad guys are already gone and they, they can just do their commune, but they don't ever have to like fend it. You know what I mean? They'll never
2: have to like keep it there.
0: Yeah. I guess that's I- right. Actually,
2: in in all fairness, to go back to it, uh, there was the one episode of uh, God. What was the show we were just talking about? Uh, among Last not, of Us, uh, the Last of Us. Uh, there's the one episode where like they show up to like a community, and the people are like, uh, "Oh, so you're communists?" And they're like, "Oh, no, no, it's it's not quite like communism." And the one person that lives there is like, "Actually, yes, it's exactly like that." Yeah, the leader. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, it's like they don't want to believe that what they've like the life that they finally needed was communism because it like even like after the apocalypse, they're still like rejecting the idea of communism, which is is pretty comical actually.
2: Yeah, they're like, Oh, I well, I mean, I live in one of the most oppressive police states that you can possibly imagine. I've I've recently had to murder a child uh because they were infected by a disease, maybe. But um, I don't know, man. This communism that you guys seem living seem to be living really happily under is kind of suspicious to me. I'm going to go. Oh man. Like you guys all seem really happy, but at what cost?
1: (laughs) He did the thing. (laughs) Oh,
0: my, my favorite line. It's 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 one of my, it's one of my favorite lines to use as a joke. I feel like that should be like the wall street journal, like the financial times, like underscore. It should just be like the financial times, but at what cost? That's literally like every article that's in the Financial Times or Wall Street Journal about China is just like, they're cured cancer, but is that good? Like that literally was like an article from oh, yeah. like six years ago, which I feel like goes <laughs> And
2: well. five years ago and four years ago and three, like.
0: <laughs> but anyone out there, I think you can still enjoy this movie. I, I, it, it's, you're allowed to. It's a great movie. Fine. It's a good movie. It's a thriller. It's sci-fi slash horror movie. It's fun. It's not boring. It's not lame. It is a dude fest.
2: It, it is a dude fest. There is, I don't think there is literally a single female character in there
0: or even a mention of a female character yeah both
2: the uh both the black guys do survive like up until pretty much the
1: very end like raw or nulls is one of the last ones to go he's actually the last one to go um yeah before kurt russell kills the the big boss monster and then ends it with the last scene with um keith richards
2: sorry keith david not Keith Richards. <laughs> <laughs> he would have survived he would have survived um yeah. And, and, and like, honestly, like, I think that if, if maybe I'm grasping at straws, cause I like John Carpenter, but I, I don't feel like if he was a real piece of shit that like one of the last two living characters was going to be one of the black characters.
0: Right. Cause like given like the common trope of like killing the black character basically first. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, this, this movie gives this movie again, is it's one of my favorite horror movies, you know, ever. And so it's, it is what it is. It's a movie that's maybe anti-communist, but fuck it.
2: I, I like Mike's take. It's, it's pro-communist just on accident because anti communists are idiots. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, that's the, that's the, that should be everyone's takeaway. Um, but Mike and Brandon, thank you both for, for coming on. Thanks
2: Let's for play. having me, man. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Yeah. And I know you want, I mentioned at the beginning, you both have podcasts. Did you want to, you know, briefly say what your podcasts are? So, people who don't know might, might check it out.
2: Sure. Um, yeah, I'm on, uh, cars and comrades. We're, we're, we're pretty niche. Like I feel like a lot of people like movies, not as many leftists like working on their cars, but, um, we talk about a lot of labor history in the automotive industry and, you know, news. We make fun of Elon Musk quite a bit because it's just so easy and, uh, you know, to- just generally bullshit about our cars and our projects and stuff, but it's
1: fun. We enjoy it. Yeah, and mine is uh, turned off. This podcast, we're not as niche as that. We don't talk about just cars. We didn't, we didn't pigeonhole ourselves. Then we just talk about <laughs> anything Marxist. But um, we also are not really doing much lately. But there's a good back catalog. So if you haven't checked us out, go check out any of the other like hundred episodes we did. So,
0: so you've been listening to Left of the Projector. You can find us anywhere podcasts are found. Like and uh, give a rating. Those are good for algorithms and such. So thanks everyone for listening and have a good one.